Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. What a great conference, and uh, it feels more like revival than, a, than the conference setting. And I've enjoyed it this week thoroughly. I feel revived and uh, very proud of the Navajo Choir last night. Amen. Just want to say, what a great time in the Holy Ghost. If you have your Bible, Acts chapter 4, the fourth chapter of the book of uh, Acts. Many of you have read the article of a young man by the name of Zach Sunderland. In uh, July 16th, uh, 2009, he stepped onto the shore of Marina del Rey to complete his 13-month long journey around the world. At the conclusion of his trip, Zach Sunderland officially became the youngest person in the world to have circumnavigated the globe alone in a boat. I want you to think about this. This is an amazing accomplishment. His family was a sailing family who were fully supportive. They, they insured Zach. He had all the latest safety equipment, GPS to satellite phone to access the best. Zach and his 36 Football, the intrepid, endured an impressive list of hardships while out at sea, according to the Los Angeles Times article, trying to fix a broken rigging at 15-foot seas and gale-force winds, a close call on the Indian Ocean with a mysterious-looking vessel that seemed sure to be harboring pirates, then Zach could have landed in port, called it quits at any time during his voyage. I want you to listen here to this young man, 17 years old. I think society puts young people in a box. People 15, 16, and 17, and does not expect them to do so much but go to high school, play football, and stuff like that. This just shows they can do a lot more with some strong ambition and desire. My advice is to get out there and do your thing with all you got. In other words, it was zeal that carried Zach through. I want to preach a message I've titled Bringing Balance to Balance from the book of Acts chapter 4, verse number 32, if you have your Bibles this morning. Because in reality, how many know that revolution is a young man's game? Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Listen, now the multitude of those who believe were of one heart One soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold." They laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, 
by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the anointing that destroys the yoke. We have no confidence in the flesh. And I'm praying, Father, that you would convict of sin, of righteousness, and of coming judgment. Lord, I thank you. I have no confidence this morning in my own abilities. And I'm asking God that you would anoint these lips of clay and hide me behind the cross, we pray in Jesus' powerful name. And all of God's people said, Amen. I'm reading in the book of Isaiah, which has been called the mini Bible, and there's another piece of armor that's not described by Paul in his epistle. Isaiah 59, 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on a garment of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. We recently celebrated again the Christmas season and the scripture is often read throughout the Christian church during this time of year. It's a prophecy that was given by the prophet Isaiah 600 years before Christ. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Very familiar portion and the government will be upon his shoulder His name will be called Wonderful. Now, when people call you Wonderful, you have to take that with a grain of salt because there's only one that's Wonderful. (laughs) Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice, From that time forward, even forever, notice these words, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Now, I love it in the New Living Translation. It says, his government and peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Listen, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Or in other words, this morning, one of the driving forces of the kingdom of God is the driving force of zeal. General Booth prophesied about our generation when he said the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. In a generation where society extols the virtue of moderation, a generation where we are warned against extremists, don't get too excited, don't go overboard on this Christian thing. Be careful that you don't go over the top. Don't be dogmatic or opinionated. I pastor in a very uh, strong military area, and the military personnel, uh, personnel on the island of Guam are now put on a watch list if you're a born-again Christian. Threatened not from foreign enemies, but threats from our own government, calling out Christian officers and replacing them with officers who have the same opinion of the present administration. You know, sometimes you have to 
say to yourself, does my blood pressure ever get up about anything? We have now on our island a rash of rape of young kids. And I'm telling you that I've made up my mind the crack dealers are not going to take over my neighborhood. They're not going to sell ice in my neighborhood, amen, without hearing a gospel witness. It's time to take our neighborhoods back. Can you say amen? Take our community back. It's time that we get some zeal and maybe from time to time check to see whether you're really alive. Your blood pressure gets up about a number of things. I'm, I'm, I'm looking here this past weekend, the Packers versus the 49ers playoff game on the frozen tundra. That's, this is Lambeau Field at minus three degrees at kickoff time. And the stadium is packed to capacity and that's normal behavior. And they're called fans. Which is the root word for fanatic. It's all right to wear giant cheese heads. Wear no shirt in sub-zero temperatures. Paint your body the color of your team. That's normal. It's all right to twerk like Miley. Jerk it and shake it until you almost break it. Here's an NBA coach recently who is praising his player for eyelid tattoos. Well, I'm here to tell you in a Lady Gaga generation, in a transgender generation, amen, that the church is here to stay. Amen. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. He said, I will build my church. This is so hypocritical. It's all right to be extreme as just as long as you're not going overboard about Jesus. Well, I'm here to tell you that this conference has gone completely over the top. But everything that we do is extreme. See, I had people ask me, what's your corporation name? I said, it's called Up Your Nose of the Rubber Hose Ministry Incorporated. How many know the devil is a liar? So is his girlfriend and his mother-in-law. I want to consider with you, first of all, this morning, the paradox of effective Pentecostal ministry because... What inspired this message was an old article that Jesse Cluck gave me. It was out of an issue of Voice of Healing magazine, 1953. It was written by who they called the Apostle of Balance, Donald G. And the title of this article caught my attention because it says here, extremes are sometimes necessary. He said, one of the paradoxes of truly Pentecostal witness is its emphasis upon the necessity of maintaining a proper balance in doctrine and practice coupled with a complementary testimony that often urges to extremes in both. Paul's teaching concerning spiritual gifts is all for balance and moderation. He writes here, I will sing with the spirit, I will sing with the understanding also. We're to avoid giving any impression of being mad by two or at most by three. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Let all things be done decently and in order. 
Yet at the same time, he affirms in extreme language that he speaks with tongues more than they all, expresses a vehement preference for teaching at a ratio of 10,000 to five and says you may all prophesy. So many of us are firmly established extremists. If we see any ray of truth, we push it to such an extreme that our constant pressing of it becomes offensive, vain, and at least erroneous. If we discover any successful line of ministry, we run after it to such an extent that it becomes nauseating and exhausted. We are forever missing genuine usefulness by our constant failure to keep well-balanced. In the end, men lose confidence in us, our intemperance grieves the Holy Spirit, and we're cast upon the scrap heap of rejected and unprofitable servants. Notice this, listen carefully, but still more of us are in danger of missing a life of power by seeking to walk in a monotonous middle course that never ventures to an extreme at all. Our preaching lacks fire because it's always trying to present both sides of a case at the same time. And our methods are ineffective because they avoid any offense against respectability or tradition. Can you say out your oh me or amen or all three? <laughs> See, it's important this morning that we emphasize the necessity of maintaining a proper balance. But if you look at our text this morning, here in the book of Acts chapter four, you're going to see here that the New Testament church was anything but balanced. We're talking about the miraculous. We're talking about two plus two doesn't always equal four in the kingdom. Sometimes two plus two can equal cabbage if God wants it to be that way. We're talking about a move of the Holy Spirit and the theme of this conference is passion for souls. Proverbs chapter 11, of course, one of our favorite texts, verse one, a false balance is an abomination of the Lord, but we must read it in its proper context. See, the truth is that in the New Testament, we have a complementary testimony in the word of God that often urges extremes. Now, you look today at the neo-Pentecostal world. The clamor today is all about being relevant. J. Lee Grady wrote an article, one of the few that I've enjoyed, why I'd rather worship with the lights on. He said, I, I like both the old and the new songs, and I certainly don't want to stand in the way of innovation, but I'm struggling with the latest Sunday morning praise fad. Can someone help me understand why everybody's singing in the dark? Now, this is written by a third-generation Pentecostal. He said, I've, I never got this memo. I assume somebody had the great idea that Sunday morning visitors shouldn't feel conspicuous. The discussion at the boardroom table probably went like this. If we turn down the lights, newcomers could hide on the 14th row and not worry about being seen. Someone else added a low lighting would give our church a hip contemporary concert feel and the church accountant probably added, think of how much money we could save on our electric bill. 
He writes here, okay, I sort of get it. I don't want visitors to feel awkward. I want young people to enjoy church. I also know that graphics, video clips, and song lyrics are hard to see in broad daylight. But before we close all the curtains and dim all the lights, I wish we could talk about this trend that he gives a number of reasons why he's against it. And he says here, one of the reasons is worship shouldn't be focused on the stage. A skilled worship leader points people to heaven, not to the platform. That's good preaching right there. Some people think darkness is creepy. The church should be welcoming, a welcoming place that feels inviting. That's why we call churches sanctuaries. But psychologists tell us that people who have been abused or traumatized often suffer from fear of the dark. I'm not sure I understand all that. But I do know this, God likes light. And that's the reason why I so enjoyed our worship service this week, singing songs that we all can sing together. But this is a generation that has thrown out the baby with the bathwater because we don't want to go to extremes. Amen, we have to be hip, we have to be cool, butter can't melt in your mouth, and you have to be relevant to this generation. See, human nature is imbalanced. People are like, a pendulum that swings to extremes. We're, Pastor Mitchell says we are naturally imbalanced. It's like a drunk riding a horse. We either fall off on the right hand or the left hand, but here's the paradox. We need balance, but sometimes extremes are necessary. Now, I, I don't mind telling you that I've been involved in some new convert insanity in my life, and it was good, clean Christian fun. Still, still remember when the Christian life was fun? from time to time when you used to enjoy the Christian life, when it wasn't a drag to come to the house of God, it wasn't a drag to go on outreach. Today, they get up in the altar and say, now, pastor, does this mean I have to come to church now? I said, get back down, you didn't get saved. (laughs) And they're chewing their gum like a cow chewing its cud. (laughs) You don't have to pray, you wanna pray. You don't have to read your Bible. You want to read your Bible. You don't have to come to church. You want to go to church. No one had to follow up on me and put my name, my blood type into the church computer. Today you sleep between the couple and they still won't come. How many ever followed up on people who didn't get it? This generation doesn't get it. Here's the today's church. Everyone's radical and extreme except the church. Most of the charismatic world is one collective yawn. It's an effeminate worship service led by effeminate song leaders, effeminate preachers. Listen to me. I like to hear a man preach that has testosterone. I like, I like to, and I can't stand it when I see a woman that has testosterone. Here's the attitude of today's church. Don't get your blood pressure up. Be cool, calm, and collect. Just like Fox News, let's keep everything fair and balanced. You never risk, you play it safe. Now I'm looking at a bumper sticker. You've seen them coexist. Has a cross, this picture there, symbol of Islam and Buddha. And I thought, how sweet. The implication is all religions are right. 
It's the old Baha'i philosophy that all rivers lead to the sea, and they do, to the lake of fire. <laughs> Can I tell you, Buddha's dead. Hari Hari Krishna is dead. Sung Young Moon is graveyard dead. Amen. Mohammed is dead, but Jesus is alive. Amen. Sets at the right hand of God the Father. And one of the biggest lies propagated to this generation is that Islam is the fastest growing movement in the world. That's a devil's lie. Thousands are being baptized in the Holy Ghost every day. There's over 400 million Pentecostals around the world and the crowd is growing by leaps and bounds. A new church is being planted in the Philippines every three days. According to church growth experts, they're being born faster, born again faster than they're being born physically in Korea. We're talking about nations being Christianized. 200 million believers in China. Islam is not the fastest growing movement. Holy Ghost Revival is the fastest growing movement around the world. You look at our text. This morning, the New Testament church was anything but balanced. See, human nature is imbalanced. Our culture leans heavily toward the sedate, the cool, the pacifist, the complacent, the effeminate, the gay, which equals to one word, boring. And the first assault on our new converts is from family who are fearful that they're getting mixed up in some kind of a cult. I've had family members say to me, how long are you gonna do this Jesus thing? I said, forever, that ought to hold you for a while. <laughs> I have family members who think that I took a drug trip and never came back. My own brother said, you're on pills again. I said, yes, gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I got saved. And we've all been involved in some pretty radical things. New convert insanity. I'm with new converts in Flagstaff. We're in a Denny's. One of them had the great idea to put ketchup down the front of his shirt. He jumped up on the table and screamed, it's the blood, it's the blood, it's the blood. And they hauled us out, called the police. Then we get up on Wednesday service and talk about how we got persecuted for the Lord. <laughs> but it was fun. Went to a pizza hut and rolled up gospel tracks on the toilet paper in the men's bathroom. I mean, I haven't been saved but just a few weeks. I'm in a pizza hut. The place is packed on a Saturday night. Took my fork out and took my cup. Ding, 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 ding. And the host place turned around and I jumped up at the table. I said, you ought to all thank God for your food whether you know him or not. I just sat back down and there was peace in the valley. I look at them. They're all looking back every once in a while. Even as a minister... The radical element, preaching revival in Pastor Warner's church and stepped off the platform one night and broke my foot, put it in a cast. Next night we come to revival, Pastor Harold's behind me wheeling down the aisle. I'm on crutches. And I said, welcome to the third night of our healing deliverance trip. And I... And I could read, I could read the looks and the, don't pray for me, don't. 
And then about the third night I'm preaching, the power of God hit me one night and all the pain went out of my foot and I slid my crutches underneath the chair and preached without crutches and I'm on my way out of the building and Sister Mona said, break a leg. I said, that's sick. Preached the next revival, totally healed by the power of God instead of eight weeks of recovery, four days of recovery because God's a miracle worker. That, that's pretty radical stuff. We need to look secondly, I'm moving real quick, and that's the necessity of extremes. Donald G., who was notorious for being a man of balance, he said, we need balance, but still more dangerous, listen again, is the missing life of power by seeking to walk a monotonous middle course. It's like listening to a Jack Hayford sermon. So many words, just spit it out, brother. It's like preachers who... You know, they re-preach their sermon in the altar call. That's one of the cardinal sins of preachers. We already heard it once, man. Shut up. People were trying to get saved. You'll just shut up and give the altar call. One time I was in a service and a man said, and my final point, and I leaned over to the guy and said, what does that mean? He said, 30 more minutes. It's called the gift of continuance. It's the 10th gift. Anyway, moving quickly along to happier things. Look at our text here. Verse 36 and 37, Barnabas and the New Testament church were absolutely reckless in their giving. You know, I agree with Pastor Ruby. Maybe we could use some brain damage. We think too much. We're too analytical. We've got this whole thing figured it out, and we're gonna have revival in the natural. Jesus, I'm preaching... You know, and I'm thinking about over the Christmas holiday, thinking about our recent trip to Israel, and they took us to a place where Jesus gave the Beatitudes without both speakers, without amplification. You know when the Bible said in John chapter 7, when the Bible says he lifted up his voice, he screamed, if any man thirst, let him come after me. I looked it up in the Strong's. It means he, it's, he screeched with a hoarse voice. I thought that's Pentecostal preaching. But today we have California-style Christianity. We want to get up and share. See, you, you, you die in degrees. You move from Holy Ghost preaching to professional sharers. Well, I'm not here this morning to give you a religious dissertation. Amen. I've come to put my foot right on his juggler van. Amen. How many of the devil's a liar this morning? He wants you to cool off. And there's nothing worse than lukewarm religion. God saved me in a move of God. He filled me with the Holy Ghost in the month of May, May 1971. Everyone left the building but me and the janitor. I was loaded. I flew out of the service. I levitated out. I had to. Jumped in my car, drove six blocks past the turnoff to my house. I didn't even care. And most of us, let's be honest, we tried to get that feeling. I snorted things up my nose. Don't look at me trying to adjust your halo and your horns. I would have shot up mayonnaise if it had got me high. Someone said, did you ever drink? I said, yes, if I would have died, they would have cremated me, I would have burned for four days. Did you drink for your stomach's sake? Yes, yes, my legs and head, back and stomach. 
and then we get, get saved and we have to be in bed at night by 8.30 because the children have to get up and go to school. And you have the audacity to lean over and ask your husband, which night of revival we're going to attend this week? If he had any sense, he'd tell you we're going to go to all of them and you're going to be there. We didn't take votes in our houses. We didn't care about homework. We didn't care. We didn't care if our kids become valedictorian or salutatorian, whatever you call them. I'm in the San Antonio conference. It's a hoot. It's one of, another one of those revival conferences. They were anything but balanced. They're planting churches left and right. And the theme of the conference is doing the work of an evangelist. I thought, what a fantastic idea. What a scene. And they took the theme of the conference from 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. And I'm, I'm thinking about the theme and I'm thinking, you know, evangelists are extremists. That's the reason why some of you are afraid of it. Now, historically, revivalists could be very colorful. You know, they, they many often minister outside the box. It's what we would call maybe marching to a different drum beat. Some were eccentric. Matter of fact, a lot of them were eccentric. Okay, 99% were eccentric. But they did rock their world. Amen. One writer said this, and I love it, the pastor's best friend is the evangelist. If the pastor is the shepherd, then the evangelist is the sheepdog, and they make a great team. <laughs> Pastor Mitchell said, that's a great quote, but the only problem is the sheepdog can hike its leg. Okay, evangelist, you owe me now. Here's the New Testament church. It was extreme in four areas in evangelism. The Bible said they went everywhere preaching the gospel. Look at our text here in verse number 32. It says here, and now the multitude of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. This is a total commitment. This is a trust bond. I, I've had pastors, I've heard them preach, you know, God killed Ananias and Sapphira because they didn't pay their tithe. That preach is good. But that not, that's not quite accurate because the reason why God judged them is because they violated a trust bond. These people were committed. They were in covenant relationship and they were extreme in their commitment. There's an extreme here in the miraculous. Verse number 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. They were radical in their giving. In verse number 35, they, they, and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. I'm, I'm getting excited up here reading this. Make you want to spit all over your tie. But you look at the church world today, the last place you find any kind of excitement or zeal, the church. Donald G., again, we rightly extol the importance of balance. We correctly affirm that the way of truth will not be found in extremes. But we desperately need to recognize that revivals are never launched without someone going to an extreme. Church planting is extreme. Going door to door today in our city where no one goes door to door except the cults is extreme. Amen? How I many know street preaching is extreme? Amen. If you tell me you don't still get butterflies, you're lying. 
And the truth, I, when I still street preach, and my, I still feel the butterflies, amen. And how many know there's something about preaching on the street, and there's something about evangelism and telling people about Jesus? The wrong thing to do is to witness to your barber. When was the last time you gave with passion? You know, it's very interesting. The only balanced disciple was Judas. He was a thief and a traitor. You know, a few weeks ago, I'm reading in Hong Kong that a man gave $27.3 million for a white diamond, and they call us fanatical. One writer said the day of Pentecost so disturbed the emotional balance of the disciples that they seemed like drunken men. A little extreme, don't you think? 30 years later, a Roman governor accused Paul of being mad. Now, let's admit it this morning. Festus was no fool. Paul himself testified that at times he was beside himself. Amen? Now, we do well to remember that our Lord's own kinsman thought he had gone mad. Mark chapter 3, verse 21. In the Gospel of John, we find in the second chapter, he kicked over the tables of the money changers and his disciples remembered the book of Psalms chapter 69 and verse 9, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. That Israeli guide in November explained to us, showed us the place where Jesus would go up into the temple. This is extreme. He would walk down from the Mount of Olives across to the Kidron Valley. He will walk down this this stairwell, I'm not, talk, I'm not sure how many stairs, but would climb up. This was a daily routine. I lost nine pounds climbing those stairs. <laughs> and today, people won't even cross the street if it's raining. They're so sweet, they might melt. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5, 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. The commentary says with Paul, his superb sanity of teaching and outlook operated on a heavenly level. Could I remind you this morning that zeal and enthusiasm come from the same root word? It's the word entheos, which means to be possessed by God. And I'm here to tell you, I get sick and tired of hearing about demon possession. From Rosemary's baby to poltergeist to the force be with you, to the demoniacs that operate out of Hollyweird. What about being God-possessed? How about leaving this morning under the influence of the Holy Spirit? How about if we just came to this conference and got possessed this week? I want to close by looking at balance that needs balance. Now let me let you in on a little secret. There has to be some extremism to move things. If we're not careful, we can pride ourselves with an intellectual smugness about our balance. You know, we, I'm very sound. I know you're sound asleep. <laughs> Here's the AOG. Keys to growth. This is the new leadership. Number one, no public speaking in tongues. And number two, putting women in key leadership positions. Well, that'll never happen. I said it'll never happen here. Amen. Because we believe in the old time way with a fresh anointing. Principles never change. Methods do change. I've seen the methods come and go. 
We could set up a rock band in the 70s and it was horrible, but people would gather. Amen? And it moved from there to other things. Today you listen to them, you're not sure exactly what they're singing. But I'm open. I'll even stick in a tape from time to time and listen to some Christian hip-hop if I have to. You know when the chrome's vibrating on your car? Then someone pulls up beside you at the stoplight. Look at the old couple. But principles will never change. Amen? I believe in getting a hearing for the gospel. However, as long as it's not unethical or illegal, well, unethical. (laughs) Miracles of healing occur when faith refuses to be logical. Our success is based upon many times avoiding disaster, but our safety has been achieved by remaining static. Here's the issue, and I'm going to bring it to a close. The issue is the way of Pentecostal truth that embraces a legitimate extremism and an essential balance. Donald G. wrote in his article, we need extremism or extreme fervor to launch a movement, but we need repudiation of extremes to save it from self-destruction. What a mouthful. Let me read it to you again in case you didn't get it. We need extreme fervor to launch a movement, but we need repudiation of extremes to save it from self-destruction. Now you look at this world's accomplishments, most of the world's accomplishments were wrought by imbalanced extreme individuals. They weren't cold, calculated, jaded, cynical. They pushed the envelope. And I, I get worried about people who are downplaying emotions all the time. You know, the same people who criticize emotions are the same ones who criticize the adventurous. These are the same ones who are critical of new convert enthusiasm. I have a young man in my church healed of leukemia. He's an usher. God restored him back to life. He's got a job working at a local bank. Every time I walk into that bank, it makes me want to shout. He's dying, and you ought to hear this young man street preach. You talk about enthusiasm. I've had people get saved in our church. Alcoholic lady that was 67 years old, raised in the Mormon church, been married six times. Pulled up in our parking lot to kill herself had the gun out and looked up and saw the potter's house. She said, well, before I do it, I might as well go in and buy a coffee mug. (laughs) Potter's house. Some of you will get it later. You'll be driving home. (laughs) She's going to buy a piece of pottery for $6.95. She got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, delivered from a demon of murder and alcoholism. My kind of convert. I've had people say to me, Glenn, I go to your church. I've never seen so many strange folks. I had a guy tell me he was a prophet one time. He said, I've got a word from the Lord. I said, speak it, prophet. He said, I've been in your church all night long, and I want you to know you have people in this church that have problems. I said, really? I didn't, I never knew that. I said, sir, this is a box of cereal, fruits, flakes, and nuts, and you're looking at the chief raisin. You're looking at the guy that filled out his convert card and said, address, I put planet Earth. (laughs) This little lady, delivered from Mormonism, 
Married five times, living with a guy half her age. The main spokesman for AA. And she said, this coming week, we're, gonna have, we're meeting in a new venue. And she filled up two whole rows of alcoholics. Song service would begin. She'd jump out over here on the side and do a little dance. And the older, more mature saints were upset big time. They come up to me after church, the pastor, can we meet with you? And he'd have a whole, whole committee come up and explain to me, don't you know that, that she's scaring us? She's making us nervous. She, would, would you stop her? I said, stop her. I'm trying to get all of you to act like that. I didn't come to stop her. I came to get her started. So if you've been a Mormon all your life, raised in the LSD, LDS, 67 years, shacking up with someone bound by alcoholism, you'd shout too. He that has been forgiven much loveth much. Keep your mouth off of this convert. She'll, she'll, she'll finally get the embalming fluid like you and mature. She'll calm down eventually. And I'm not advocating something silly, slap happy this morning, something giddy. But I'm talking about an enthusiasm that comes from the heart in serving God. See, the first commandment, can I remind you, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, with all your strength, and that's over the top. Passion means to boil up or a boiling over, a conflagration. Religion lacks zeal, and the sure mark that you've become religious is you've lost your zeal for the things of God. A real Christian is filled with a supernatural inspiration. You say, what's the answer? Get possessed. Romans 12 and verse 4, not lagging in diligence. Indulgence. Some of you heard, that's the only thing you heard all morning. He's telling us to be indulgent. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, Serving the Lord, zeal for God protects me from sin. You know, one of the great deterrents of sin is the rapture. You know, knowing my luck, the moment I backslid, the rapture would take place. It's one of the things that have kept me saved over the years is I had a pastor here in Prescott who preached on the imminent return. That'll give you some zeal. It could happen at any moment. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. Who cares about a red heifer in Jerusalem? I don't care if the Antichrist is, amen, Henry Kissinger or Ronald Reagan raised from the dead. Jesus is who I'm looking for. And this is a great deterrent to sin. The second deterrent is to get on fire for God. This keeps me from sin. A passionate church for God is made up of passionate individuals. Isn't that deep? How do we maintain it? How do we get it back? Number one, be filled with the Holy Ghost. There's one baptism, but many infillings. Now, this week, I got filled with the Holy Ghost again. I was baptized in the Holy Ghost the month of May, May 16th, 1971, and in October, I just celebrated 43 years of salvation, married to the same woman for 39 years. You know what a miracle that is? I woke up this morning in the right bed with the right woman, and to get to be a part of this, and we can't get excited, well, I've been saved, sanctified, and uh, I've been in the way for 48 years. That's right, that's right, you've been in the way. Get out of the way. <laughs> Secondly, pray for passion. 
Thirdly, return to our first love. Number four, associate with people who are passionate. Quit hanging around with losers who are backbiting the preachers, analyzing every sermon. There's no doubt there are people here sitting this morning trying to analyze me. Good luck trying to take notes. That's the reason why they stick me up here. They stick me up here because I'm balanced. My bubble's in the middle. I'm not preaching about being silly, giddy, slap happy. You ever talk to people that are just not real? How you doing? Blessed. Okay. I believe it. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, and I close. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where thou goest. Can I give you your destiny? Should the rapture not take place right now? At this moment in your lifetime, we're all headed to the grave. And it's not going to do you any good over there to be zealous. This is the time to serve the Lord. This is the opportune time. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise as our pastor can. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.